You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Creators in Saigon. Again, you have just Dana hosting here today. Today, our guest is Darren Joe. Darren was born and raised in Southern California and studied public policy and international affairs at Princeton University. He's been living and working in several different countries in Southeast Asia for the past 10 years. His business and podcast, Touch MBA, helps MBA applicants match with and get into the world's top business schools. He has just published his first book, The Fail Safe Solopreneur Six Essential Practices to Manage Your Well Being Working for Yourself, which has ranked number one on Amazon for work related health books. He's also the host of his podcast, ACE, or ASE, which is about entrepreneurial well-being and making things happen. In his free time, he enjoys Afro-Cuban dancing and salsa. I'm really excited for you to hear this one because as creators and entrepreneurs, we do what we do because we desire freedom and variety and control over our own lives. But as wonderful as having these things can be, they definitely come at a cost. Entrepreneurship can be lonely and unstable at times. And if you're not careful, it really takes a toll on your physical and mental health, which is just not sustainable in the long run. But there are ways to safeguard yourself against these common pitfalls of entrepreneurship. Darren's book is the culmination of his personal lessons learned about mental health and well-being over the past 10 years as a solopreneur that you can put into action immediately. In this episode, we dig into a few golden nuggets of wisdom from his book, and we share a lot of personal stories back and forth from our own entrepreneurial journeys. This episode is longer than others, but it's worth every second, trust me. So without further ado, here's Darren Joe. So I read your book. Well, actually, I listened to the audio version oh, of your okay. book. Yeah, you have obviously a great voice for audio. You're doing multiple podcasts, the audio book. It's very nice to listen to. And I could immediately just relate to so many things. And something that really stood out to me about it is that it actually felt like I was reading your personal diary. It felt like you were just letting us into your private, intimate world. And I just really admired how you boldly shared a lot of this stuff. So first, I would like you to give just a general summary uh, of what the book is about, just so the listeners can get an idea of what we're talking about here. And then I'll ask you about the story of how this book even came to be. Mm. So first, what's, how would you describe just a general summary of what it's about and maybe who it's for? Yeah. Wow. So 
The book is called The Failsafe Solopreneur, Six Essential Practices to Manage Your Well-Being Working for Yourself. And it's based on my past 10 years of working virtually, working independently, and owning a small business with a few employees, but largely doing it on my own and trying to start a business. Mm -hmm. And I had this dream, you know, like maybe so many of your listeners do that was largely inspired and I'll admit it by the four hour work week. Mm -hmm. This idea that I could work anywhere uh, when I wanted to and support myself working in, with less time, right? Not four hours. No one can work <laughs> only four hours a week. But yeah. you know, basically, I was really enthralled with this idea of freedom. I had worked in the corporate world for, for many years, and I was itching to just kind of do my own thing, set my own rules. And I set off on that journey, and I worked hard at it. Uh, long story short, you know, it took me a lot longer than I thought, but eventually I got to the point, maybe four or five years later, where, yeah, I had a nice business that supported my lifestyle, that allowed me to live wherever I wanted to, and I didn't have to work, you know, like the entire week. Uh, that took a lot of work to get to that point, but I got there. Mm-hmm. But then I got to this point where, yeah, okay, Dana, let's go to, let's go to Thailand, let's let's go to Colombia, let's go to different places, and let's do work we're excited about. But I realized somewhere along that journey that I I wasn't as happy or as fulfilled as I thought I would be. So this book really shares both the struggles I dealt with building my business and dealing with having kind of reached that goal you had set out and kind of shares my lessons living this virtual solopreneur life. And Mm -hmm. so it's called fail safe because F stands for failure. A stands for anxiety. I stands for instability and L stands for loneliness. Mm -hmm. And the core message of the book is we pursue this life because we're creators. We, we love to make new things. We love freedom. We love adventure. We love meaning, doing meaningful work. I mean, these things, wow. As I hear myself talk about it, I'm like almost yelling into the microphone because it's, <laughs> it's true. This is everything I want for my work life. Mm-hmm. But those four things come with shadow sides. Um, those four things come with failure, anxiety, instability, and loneliness. They are by definition the shadow side of those work-life values we crave so much. So the point of the book is expect those, what I call four horsemen of being a creator, of being a solopreneur. And if you can expect those things during your journey and manage them, then you can do your best work. You can take full advantage of your more flexible work life and just be more as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's you know, a lot to unpack in each of those things, but that's the core message. I think we can always talk about the great things about this life and, and social media helps us do this, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of show off the lifestyle and show off oh, all the awesome things we're doing. But man, it, it's, that wasn't the experience for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and dealing with that, seeing that all the time was really challenging because I'm like struggling yeah. to build my business to a point where it's sustainable and I'm struggling with all these issues, yet everyone else is succeeding. And I realized my experience is not unique, but I thought it was. So that's really the point of the book. And I do believe that 
we, we are facing this sort of crisis of loneliness and well-being. And as more people come into working for themselves, they're going to face these four horsemen for sure. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of compounded by like social media and so forth. So I really just wanted to let people know they're not alone and that, you know, you're going to find your own way to deal with the four horsemen or I have some ideas too that have helped me, but just expect these things mm -hmm. and know they're real and everyone faces them. And, and then, you know, that's going to really set yourself up to do your best work, start your best companies, do your best, you know, creative work, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. I think those four things are just beautifully summarized so well, like exactly all things that I've personally experienced. And I can also relate so much to this concept of like chasing that high. And then once you get there, you think it's going to be, you think you're going to, you're just finished. Like, oh, I made it. And everything's yes. so wonderful now. And there is a high for like a fleeting moment, but that's what it is. It's just a high. And, you know, there wouldn't be highs unless there were also lows or mediums. Exactly. So I experienced it very similarly, not only in being being a solopreneur, but even just moving abroad, because the whole reason I moved abroad was because I was miserable at home, right? Like, why would anyone just pick up and leave their whole life and move somewhere else? Obviously, there's some kind of disconnect or dissatisfaction in your current life. And in my mind, I'm I, like you said, I'm watching everyone on Instagram, on YouTube, just living their best life in yeah. Southeast Asia. And it looks so fun. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to be a travel Instagram influencer and I'm going to start a travel vlog and all these things. <laughs> and then you get here and there is that initial high of like, Oh my God, I really did this. I'm in a new country. This is so cool. Everything's different and exciting. And then that wears off after a while. And then you start getting the, the real problems of, oh, this is actually pretty hard. <laughs> and I don't know if this is like actually that fun. Uh, but then after that low, then you kind of come back up to this, this neutral sort of mm. medium point, I think, if you can get there. So I've heard you mention that writing a book has always been a lifelong dream did you always know that it would be this kind of topic about wellness or did you just know you wanted to write a book and didn't necessarily know what it would be about? It was the latter. Yeah. I, I love, love, love books. I mean, they're my best friends and I just, it was just a life dream to write one, you know, cause mm -hmm. books have changed my life so immensely. And I just wanted to write one book during my lifetime. So I didn't know what it was going to be about. I just know I wanted to do it. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of, um, you know, because I respect authors so much, honestly, I didn't think I had anything worthy to share. I mean, and this is kind of tied to my story, but, yeah. uh, you know, who am I to, to write a book? Like, I mean, what have I done? And, and so a lot of... <laughs> I'd say the past four years that led to this book were, you know, overcoming those sort of doubts as well, mm -hmm. in addition to the, the task of, of writing a book. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I just, I always think it's so interesting meeting people who it's, 
they want to write a book, it's a lifelong dream to write a book because I've never had that feeling ever. <laughs> I'm like, that is definitely not something I ever want to do. But I think it's cool that we all kind of have these different lifelong dreams. I mean, the world yes. wouldn't work if we all had the same lifelong dream. So one of mine is like, I just, I've always wanted to own a bed and breakfast. I don't know why <laughs> it's like super random, but I've just always loved the idea of having a cute bed and breakfast and like, yeah. you know, buying a bunch of used furniture and repainting it and refurnishing it and making it all cute and just welcoming people into this home. So yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, but we we just, don't need to know why. Right, I mean, I yeah. truly believe that, you know, we're just pulled along by, by certain currents that mm -hmm. we can't explain. And for a long time, I was like you, maybe I tried to figure out, well, why do I want to do this? It doesn't make sense or it does mm -hmm. make sense, but why do I want to do it? Like, mm -hmm. why do I want to move to Colombia? Why do I want to write a book? Why do yeah. I want to live in Vietnam? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can rationalize all those things to you mm -hmm. and sound smart, but really, <laughs> Like that's a be I, I think that's so beautiful, as you said. I love that. It's, mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful thing, like what moves each of us and it's so unique and random and weird. But mm -hmm. I think just paying attention to those things is important. Yeah, absolutely. And to not dismiss it, I guess. Like I yes. feel like I yes. I could easily be like, bed and breakfast, that's so dumb. Like who like cares about a bed and breakfast? Or exactly like you said, I had the similar thought of who am I to start a podcast? Like how conceited of me to think that people want to yeah. listen, listen to me talk about stuff. <laughs> like who am I? And yeah, it's like we, we have to listen to those subtle urges and not dismiss it or be scared of it, which is easier said than done. So with that said, I want to dig more into the actual story of mm. how this book came to be. I heard yeah. you talk about even back in 2017, you started writing it at a low point yeah. in your life, but it was more just for you than anyone else. So can you tell us that story? Yeah. So 2017, my business made the most money it, it had ever made. It, it was higher than any salary I'd made in, in my past life. So I should have been thrilled I should have been like, wow, this is what all my hard work and my dreams, like I have this business now, it's making pretty good money. But I found myself so lost that year, 2017. I, I was lonely, I, I was kind of lost. I didn't, under, I didn't feel like I had much meaning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the business, you know, I built it to be very independent, like, I don't rely on many people, not many people rely on me, but it works. Mm -hmm. And that's great because I can do, I have the freedom, but it's also bad in a way because no one really needs me. And I think I had this real kind of crisis of, okay, like, what am I doing with this? Like, what's the point of life? I mean, not to like bring in all the, the big questions, but yeah. of course, what did I do? I did what I always did, which is try to read books to find answers because I love mm -hmm. books. I couldn't find the answers. Mm. And so I realized, I don't know what it was again, maybe just, just something came into my mind that Darren, like you can't keep looking for answers outside yourself and putting experts on pedestals and putting business heroes on pedestals and putting religious heroes on pe pedestals, et cetera, because I mean, learn from them, but this is like, you know, who knows you better than you? Mm. 
And so this is when I started really trying to identify like, okay, what do I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it took me a long time to come to this realization, but you know, what are my rules of success? Like, what have I learned? What does my experience tell me, teach me? What do I really want? Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I started writing about it. And then I think maybe a year into that, I, I just started thinking like, all right, I want to write a book. But I didn't have the confidence to, I didn't think you know, anyone would care to hear these thoughts from you know, a relative nobody. So, so I'll write this book for myself. And then that turned into, okay, I think, let me just try to share some of the things I'm learning on a blog. And I'll just kind of blog about this maybe once every week or once every two weeks. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I have this book I want to write. But I I was basically trying to lower the barrier of, so I wasn't so scared about the project and I couldn't get my ego shattered. (laughs) So I'm just going to like drip some blog posts out, see if people react to it and uh, see if people are kind of like interested in what I'm talking about. So that was my way of building up the content of the book and exploring these, these ideas that I had about mm-hmm. being a fail-safe solopreneur. Mm-hmm. And it was also a way, as you said, it, it might have sounded like a diary because I was, you know, really trying to work through my, my, my issues mm-hmm. to, to be healthier and, and to do better work. Yeah, that makes so much sense now hearing that it was it was basically just your personal diary so that <laughs> makes a lot of sense why it reads that way and i mean that in the best way possible yeah i mean that could sound really <laughs> yeah right? i don't yeah i don't mean it was like poorly written or disorganized or something like it's a really i just mean it's very vulnerable to the point that i'm like wow you just like put that out there for everyone to read that's awesome Um, and I, I think it's great too, that you took those kind of small baby steps because no one just like wakes up in one day and, and writes a whole book and puts it out there, or no one just moves to a different country in one day. Like I, you know, it's like students, English students I've had, they'd be like, wow, I wish I was as confident as you to, to just move abroad like that. And the truth is, none of us are just born confident, I think. Like, it's, it's a muscle that we have to work by doing these small things first, and you just mm-hmm. build that muscle. And so I didn't just pick up one day and move to Vietnam. It was more like, I remember when I was a teenager, I would always be, you know, pushing me and my boyfriend, like, let's go to the next town over, like, just go to a different town outside of yeah. your normal town, just explore what is around you that maybe you haven't seen or done before. And that's just building that muscle of continually putting yourself in a new space, having to reorient yourself. And then eventually you work your way up to, okay, now I feel confident to actually move to a different country. Um, So it makes sense that you put out those, those blogs just to get a feel and a vibe for it and sort of warm yourself up to it. Exactly. Exactly. Unless you're Kanye West or, I don't know, Conor McGregor or something, and you just have supreme confidence in everything <laughs> you're doing. When there are people like that, and I'm honestly a little envious of them, mm. but, you know, I, I'm not that way. And mm. I kind of needed to, yeah, like slowly build up, you know, my capacity and confidence to, mm-hmm. to release a book, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I love how you 
sort of boiled everything down to these four horsemen, Mm. failure, anxiety, insecurity, and loneliness. I could immediately (laughs) identify all of those things in my own story as well. And I think it was back in February 2020, I believe, I ended up going to therapy here Mm. in Vietnam Mm. because this whole month of February, I was so... um, insecure and anxious about my finances. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to like talk to anyone about what was going on because people would ask, you know, the generic question, how are you? And I didn't really want to answer the generic answer. I'm fine because that was a lie. I was so not fine, but I also was too embarrassed to like get into the whole thing. And I didn't think anyone would Because when people ask, how are you? I feel like most of the time they don't really mean like, how are you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I would, you know, I just avoided people. I just stopped talking to people. I stopped, you know, trying to talk to friends from home. I stuck to myself here in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And then of course that led to loneliness. And Mm -hmm. after a whole month of loneliness, I was so freaking depressed. Couldn't even Mm. get out of bed that I was like, okay, time to see a therapist and Mm. sort this out. Um, So I really love that. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that, you know, on your podcast. And I think there's a lot wrapped in that one question. Mm -hmm. And that's related to the book. So, you know, one is, how are you? You're, you know, you're struggling with your finances at the time. Like, how are you? The, The immediate interpretation is, oh, my finances aren't that strong. So I'm not doing that well. There's right. a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And I, you know, spend uh, one chapter of the book talking about instability, which is, you know, it's part of the journey being a, a creator and being an entrepreneur. It's just, you know, if you want stability income wise, you should probably get a job. I mean, but you know, if you want that thrill of adventure and creating new things, okay. We tie so much of our self worth into our income. And I did for so many years. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I, we could talk more about that, but I, I just think that's really unhealthy and, and it deserves, I'm not to say you're unhealthy, Dana, I did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it just deserves more thought, mm-hmm. like unpacking the assumptions behind that. Absolutely, like, right, like yeah. Are people who, you know, are struggling financially or poorer? Are they less well or good than rich people? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, like, you know, are they less important? These are questions I really had to to unpack because the default mode, which I had as well, is yeah, I'm not doing so well. My company's struggling. I'm I'm not doing well. But yeah, are those should those really be related? And then the second thing about being embarrassed. You mentioned I, I think that me too so but if we don't share that with a therapist or a friend or a community how can we ever get over those things they will remain mm-hmm. trapped in this closet or drawer and they emerge in awful ways and that's what chapter one is about you know what is your shadow essentially so yeah. I just think that one question how are you and that how that made you feel like that unpacks a lot of Um, like things I explore in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. And yeah, I think there was this internal conflict because like you also talk about in the book, I also was 
living the dream that I always said I wanted. <laughs> At that time, I was, you know, making my own money. I was on my own schedule. I was able to quit English teaching and like solely focus on the podcast production business I was doing. And I was living abroad. That was like my lifelong dream too. Yeah. And so it was like, I have everything that I said I wanted. So why am I so miserable still? And it, it just, yeah, I feel like that just clearly sums up so many things you talk about in the book. So going back, I think to, so there were events in your childhood that you talk about towards the beginning of your book and throughout the book, mm. these events that led you to this belief that you have to earn your worthiness yes. from your parents, from yes. anyone else. And a lot of that, you know, carried through, filtered over into your business and even romantic relationships. So can you share a bit about, about your upbringing? What was it yeah. in your childhood that led to this belief? And then ultimately how you started using self-love practices to shift out of that mindset. For sure. So I, I was the, the, the good boy growing up. I did whatever my parents told me to do. I was like the state champion gymnast as a kid, one of the best, you know, top ranked tennis player growing up. I was valedictorian of my high school. I graduated from Princeton University, which is ranked uh, highly in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I was, I guess, like a poster boy of the family because I was achieving things. And I think that what I unpack in the book is that that helped me in so many ways because, I mean, going back to gymnastics, which was, you know, the first sport I participated in, I started when I was five or six. Mm. And I was the younger child. I had an older brother. But, I mean, I'm realizing this now, but this is kind of how I won my parents' affection was by performance. I mean, literally gymnastics, if any of you guys have seen it, it's a routine, it's a performance. You know, whether you're doing flips or twirling around bars or whatever you're doing, scoring a 10.0 out of 10, that's what you're trying to do at each event. Mm. And that made me feel so good to see my parents so happy that like, I'm number one, like I got the gold medal and then just to see them just beaming, like I think that is how I won their affection. That's whether they intended that or not, mm. that's how I internalized it. And so that continued with grades, that continued with tennis, which was the sport I played, you know, in college. And so I even right now, Dana, like last night I was thinking about, you know, before this podcast, I was like, I'm really nervous about this because I, I host podcasts, but I'm mm -hmm. not the guest. Mm -hmm. And and I kept thinking like, oh, what what great story would I have to tell Dana about, you know, the book or <laughs> my life? Like, it's the same pattern. It's yep. performance. Like, I want to be the mm -hmm. best guest you've had on the show. Mm -hmm. I want this to really help people. And I want to make a really positive impression on people when they hear this. Mm -hmm. Performance, performance, performance. Mm -hmm. this, is such a deep pattern for me. And it carried over, like you said, into my relationships where I, I just thought I had to be the perfect boyfriend from the status to the money to 
the experience I, I shared with with my girlfriend to you know just I just wanted her to like I wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. It's so unhealthy, <laughs> and I didn't realize this until my thirties, which I'm like super embarrassed about. <laughs> But I share the story in the book about how you know I was lucky to date a wonderful woman in in Colombia, and she she just loved me for me like and I I. I had such this like inferiority inferiority complex like who am I to be dating such a beautiful woman and who's just such like one of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my mm-hmm. life and like I'm still building my business I don't even have much money I can my Spanish sucks like <laughs> my salsa game is weak um, <laughs> like why does she like me why does this like gorgeous Colombian woman like and you know such a warm human being why does she love me so much and the dawn of me oh wait i'm just being myself like i'm not doing anything special like she just and she would you know tell me this and I'm like wow this is a real like paradigm shift for me mm-hmm. and it, it goes back to childhood and and kind of how you want affection and love you know usually from your parents but it could be from other people and i think it's really important to understand that pattern because it's a powerful It helped me accomplish so many things, honestly. Like, but it also held me back in so many ways, especially with being a creator and being a solopreneur, because you, you're pursuing your what you want. And mm-hmm. for so long, I didn't know what I wanted. I was mm-hmm. just pursuing gold medals, you know, to please my parents and to like impress people and to get people to like me and to perform to win uh, attention. So that's. Kind of a pattern I still have to deal with every day, but at least yeah. I know it. I'm aware of it, and and I can kind of manage around it. Mm. Oh my god, so much to unpack. <laughs> so as you started writing this book, that was more just for yourself. You, I guess, you started writing down these childhood memories. All of this was coming up for you. Did you already know at this point of writing the book how much your childhood? Had this impact on your behaviors and your thoughts, or did it come up kind of as a therapeutic experience as you started writing this stuff down? Yeah, it was it was the latter. I mm-hmm. didn't know. I, I like I said, 2017, I was lost, and I just was trying to figure out my own rules, what's really important for me from life, and not what my parents, you know, because what my parents want is. Darren, come home, get a great corporate job, start a family, you know, buy a house, like that traditional stable life, which I totally understand. I don't blame them for it at all. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't me. And, um, and no matter what I did, no matter how successful my business was in 2017, you know, no matter how great, like how much I enjoyed hosting a podcast and doing creative work, my parents were just like, Darren, get a job. You're such a failure. <laughs> like, And that's yeah. hard because my whole life I'm pursuing my parents' approval, even though I'm doing what I really love to do. So there's this conflict here, and I writing the book, and kind of we could talk about the perfect day. This exercise also helped me, but yeah. doing those two things really helped me understand. Okay, like this is a default loop that is running in the background, but this is not. This doesn't have to be your reality at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that as well. I was never number one in anything yeah. as a child. <laughs> I was like definitely not number one, but all of my friends were, which yeah. 
so then I always felt like kind of the dummy in the group. Like all my friends went to the Ivy League schools. They were, you know, like our volleyball team was number one in the state and I couldn't even make it to the junior, even though like I loved volleyball, but I'm really short. So it didn't work out for me. And it just like all, all these different kinds of things. And so I also always felt like I was trying to strive for perfection in some way. And I think eventually I was just like, all right, well, if I can't be perfect, then I'm just going to move abroad and run away from all my problems. And that will solve everything. <laughs> well, and that's the key thing. Like Carl Jung said, it's a quote I mentioned in the book, I'd rather be whole than good. And, and that is one of my, like that might summarize the entire book because I was running away. That's the phrase, running away in terms of, I don't want to deal with these strong feelings I have towards my parents, like anger. Mm. I, they don't deserve their anger. They did everything for me. Like, why should I be angry? Mm. You know, um, but by burying those feelings or running away from strong emotions, which I did for so long, mm -hmm. you will never understand their roots. You will never, you know, be whole or be able to move past them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a huge part of my book and a reason why I was so personal. Honestly, it wasn't easy to share like yeah. all that stuff, but I felt like it was the only way it could work because, mm -hmm. you know, who am I to just sit here and lecture someone about owning their story when I don't do that myself? Mm -hmm. So have your parents and other family members oh, read the man. book? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. So. I was so nervous because in the, the first chapter, I talk about this relationship with my parents. And yeah. so a week before I published the book, I called them and I said, hey, <laughs> a week before. Mom and Dad, <laughs> I'm publishing this book. And uh, the first line of the book is, if, if we were like other Chinese families, we would have disowned you already. <laughs> uh, I'm Chinese American, just to give some context. So, and it's said by my mom. That's the very first line of the book. And I'm like, you know, I had, I wanted to have this conversation with them. I was really scared about it. Ironically, see, I'm still seeking their approval. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, mom, dad, I wrote this book in the first chapter. I talk about, you know, these, these bad patterns I had growing up, whether you meant it or not as a parent. And um, I was terrified. I mean, I wasn't terrified, but I was really nervous about it. And it was so, such a great conversation because my dad, he's like, so one story I share is how um, I'm talking to my dad about, dad, thank you so much for like taking me to all these tennis tournaments, you know, when I was a kid, like sacrificing your weekends to take me to tennis tournaments. I mean, and he's like, yeah, well, yeah, no problem, son. But, but if you didn't get into a top university, it probably wouldn't, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, are you, wait, what? <laughs> right? So yeah. anyways, I told my dad on this phone call that I, I mentioned that story in the book. And he's like, oh, that's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, if you didn't get into Princeton, like it wasn't worth it. Like all the <laughs> tennis lessons and time I spent, yeah, it wasn't worth it. That's <laughs> yeah, keep it in there. I was yeah. like, <laughs> my, point, my point is that so much of these things is just in our own head mm -hmm. and like oh I'm so worried about like how my dad's gonna react to this where he, he he's like oh I love the book I'm gonna send it to 10 of my friends you know? so, 
<laughs> this chapter might make me look bad or whatever. And so that's just something uh, I learned from, from, from the book as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just my mom, just to tie it full circle, my mom yeah. who opened, uh, she, she hasn't said she loves the book, <laughs> but she was so genuinely proud that to see how happy I was to accomplish this life dream and just seeing her face in that phone call, like that tied it full circle. Cause mm. it, you know, despite our conflicts growing up and so forth, like they just were so happy for me and that, that meant the world. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's like, I mean, it makes sense, right? That we, we seek the approval of our parents because when we are children, that's literally survival. Like, if we are not loved and approved of and taken care of by our parents, we will literally die. So I feel like yeah. it's this part of a survival mechanism to, to seek that love and approval. But then as we get older, it's, I don't know, it becomes less useful, I guess, or it's kind of used in a negative way. And I'm similar, like I've, I've shared some parts of my childhood, but I definitely haven't opened up fully on the podcast. And I, I know it's because I'm constantly thinking like, they're going to listen to this. They're going to think I'm talking poorly about them. They're going to think I'm saying they're bad parents. And I'm definitely not like, I, I admire them so much and I could never understand what it's like to be a parent. I mean, you're trying to deal with your own internal shit and handle another little human being like what? So it's, it's impressive that they've gotten me this far to where I am today. And I'm so grateful for, for everything, but no one's perfect. And everyone is exactly. dealing, dealing with their own um, traumas. And for their generation, it was like so completely different than for ours. Like going to therapy was not, not as acceptable and yeah, times were just so different. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. So you grew up in this pretty competitive atmosphere in terms of sports and school and it seems like mostly you were doing solo sports like tennis right. and gymnastics and it's so interesting how that ties into like solopreneur and also in your book you talk a lot about the importance of having a support system you talk about joining these masterminds uh, with other like-minded people so was it difficult to make that shift from your whole life pretty much being this lone wolf and doing everything by yourself to actually accepting and seeking help from others? That's such an insightful question. I'm still struggling with that. But yeah, tennis is such an individual sport. Gymnastics is such an individual sport. I could control to some extent, the outcome, mm -hmm. same with grades. And I, a lot of my journey over the past 10 years, and even now is dealing with overcoming this mindset of, I, I have to do it. Like, like, and it, there's good and bad to it. It's good in that, like, uh, you take action fast, but it's bad in that you can become a control freak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You're used to controlling outcomes with your own efforts. Yeah. And um, there's a limit to how far you can go with that sort of approach, not just in business, but in life and creation, you know, as a creator, as a business person and, and living. So, and I think a lot of this book is, I look at it as a chapter, 10 years, a chapter in my life where 
I optimized my life for freedom and this is what I learned. And one of my lessons was that community matters for me uh, more than, than absolute freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would choose to stay in Saigon and play, go play my weekly pickup basketball, go to my three socials at night over, you know, going to Myanmar and, mm. and exploring the country. I mean, now it's sad, but, you know, back then. Yeah. And so I think two things. One, I had to open up, find other entrepreneurs to share, you know, my struggles with, and they could almost be like a board of peer advisors, keep me accountable. So both leaning on community and also seeing myself more as interdependent rather than independent, I think is um, uh, something I'm working towards. And, and in the next phase, next chapter of my life will play a big role. Mm. So trying to partner with more people for my business, trying to, to create bigger visions and ideas for people to, to join into. And I'm just a part of that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to be, you know, trying to be more a producer and less of a star, mm. the way I, I think about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's childhood pattern. Like, mm. that's how I got it. And now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm aware of it. It's a superpower in some ways, yes. but it also holds me back in many ways. So it's about the awareness and like managing around these patterns. Right, right. So we've mentioned ideal day a few times. Yes. So in your book, you talk yeah. about instead of defining your big life vision, because this can be really daunting. And especially nowadays, like we were talking about before this podcast, like none of us can really predict what's going to happen in the next few months, even it's all very uncertain. So instead, you encourage people to define their ideal day, and to strive towards that. And you became obsessed with asking everyone and anyone what is your ideal day? And you came across some common patterns. So do you recall what were some of the common patterns that were coming up as you asked a lot of people this question? Yeah, thank you so much for asking this. So this was, you know, at the peak of kind of my disillusion in 2017, I started writing more and this idea of the perfect day or ideal day came to me. And I'm like, what is my perfect day? So I started to explore that and experiment in two ways. One was, you know, every day, first I imagined my perfect day. I couldn't rely on what the experts were telling me about happiness and meaning and so forth. But what do I, Darren Joe, like, if I close my eyes and really thought about it, you know, what would I just love to do? You know, what would be my perfect workday, essentially? And, and I wrote it down, right? And then I would live it. And then after each day, I would score my day. Mm. So I would, I would say, okay, is this ne- the scale is negative two to two? Negative two is a shit day, mm-hmm. like horrible. Two is an incredibly unbelievable, like, like awesome day. Zero is neutral. Zero mm-hmm. is like eh, meh, right? So after each day, I would score my day and write down what did I do that day. And pretty soon after, yeah, I did this for three years. Imagine the patterns you see. Like, okay, I, 
most days I rated a one. Why? You know, or why was this day a negative two? And then you start to pick up the patterns. You're basically learning from your own experience. You're stopping for five minutes at the end of the day to kind of remember what you did that day and, and link that to your score. Mm-hmm. And then the patterns emerge of like, what really gets you going? What gets you excited about the day? And I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool, but this is just me. So I want to ask you know, everyone in Vietnam about this. Mm-hmm. Who cares what the experts have to say? I just want to ask, uh, you know, my friends, uh, this random lady at the bar, you know, this person working at the convenience store, who cares? What's your perfect day? So I started asking, I think I asked 30 before I made my post about it. Mm-hmm. And what was so interesting was patterns started emerging from their answers that also matched what I was looking for in my perfect day. Mm-hmm. So, so what I found was that most people are looking for four things. And this, this is now maybe 50 interviews. Uh, one, connection. They want to feel somehow connected to important people during their day or you know, have some element of connection. Two would be autonomy. They want control mm-hmm. over the pace and space of their day. Number three was progress, like getting better at something they valued or enjoyed, uh, whether that's sports or getting important work done, what have you. Um, a lot of people wanted that progress in their perfect day. And the fourth thing was what I call a clear mind. So I'm putting a label on responses that ranged, ranged from, I would just like to not be troubled mm. to, I would just like to forget that I exist. In other words, be in the zone doing mm. something. So this kind of peaceful mind was of another common element. And I just found it really interesting because honestly, I expected people to say, oh, I'd want to go to uh, like a rock concert, you know, <laughs> in the middle of Spain or something like just crazy stuff. It's your perfect day. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I was giving them the freedom, but they would say stuff like, yeah, I would want to catch fish and bring it home to my grandma. Or, you know, I'd want to just dance in the park and get better at dancing or, you know, just very mundane sort of responses. I mean, I had a few people that said, yeah, i I've like to take some drugs, <laughs> but they were the minority. I expected that to be the majority, right? To have these like, you know, very crazy experiences. But that was really powerful uh, insight for me. And mm-hmm. it, cor- it correlated with my perfect day as well. I was looking for those similar elements, but I think everyone's perfect day is different, but this is a great way to kind of form a compass for yourself when when you're in this creator solopreneur world where there's so much ambiguity, there's no right or wrong. There's no, you know, universal yardstick for success, whether that's money or status, or it could be something completely different for you. Right. And so that's why this exercise I found really helpful because it really, you know, it's you, it's not some expert or guru telling you what to do. It's really what, what you enjoy doing will emerge over time through this tracking of scores. And if you can include those four elements in your perfect day, I mean, my theory is that you'll probably be enjoy it more too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And when I was at that part in your book, what really hit me is this thought that we all intuitively know what is healthiest for us. Like we all know as humans what 
practices would keep us well and healthy. And I feel like it's those things like connection and autonomy and everything that you just said. And you also talked about the five biggest regrets of the dying. So these common regrets that people have uh, when they are about to die is things like, I wish I spent more time with my family or connecting with my community. I wish I didn't care so much what other people thought about me. And I just did, you know, what I thought was best for me. And yeah, so it's like deep, deep down inside, we know these things. We don't even need like a guru or someone to tell us. And we don't need the internet showing us what is a perfect day. Like we know, but society also makes it so hard to even be able to hear that voice within ourselves and with all the expectations And just the logistical things, like you need to be able to have money to provide yourself the basic necessities to live. And then even, you know, obviously getting into race disparities and things like that, just these things people experience that don't even allow them to actually live that well life that should be possible and accessible for everyone, but it's just not. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. So for me, this question has always kind of freaked me out a bit because it's almost like that problem where there's too much freedom. Like, oh my God, I I can do anything. Like, what do I do? I don't know what to choose. And for me also, when I picture my ideal life, not just ideal day, but like ideal life would be that I can, I can do anything I want on any day like i wouldn't i wouldn't want to do the same things every day Mm. and so i guess when i first hear ideal day it means like what would you love to do every single day Mm. but i don't think that necessarily is the case i think it can just be like what is one you know what does one good day look like for you and that doesn't mean it has to be the day that you just live on repeat for the rest of your life so for you was that question hard to answer at first or did it just come to you and for other people that you asked did it seem hard to answer or it just came to them such a good question so in terms of answering the last question first was it hard for them it was not Mm -hmm. everyone knew almost right away that's why i love this exercise because it strips away like you said a lot of the societal programming and gets more to your, your true intentions, your more taps into your intuition. That's really based on your, your entire life experiences. No one had a problem coming up with an answer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so great. And uh, obviously that perfect day is going to evolve as you change. And as you evolve, it's never mm-hmm. going to stay static, but to address y- your point of, yeah, doing the same thing every day could get really boring or, you know, uninspiring. I think that what I found is like a handful of perfect day templates, so -hmm. to speak. So Barack Obama had this great quote where they were interviewing him about, you know, his decision making. And he has, he famously wore only like two suits, Mm -hmm. right? And his whole idea was, I want to routinize like what clothes to wear. I don't even want to really think about that. And such a huge part of going out on your own and being self-employed is dealing with this massive ambiguity in front of you, like massive uncertainty, massive ambiguity. Like like you said, it can be overwhelming, the freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. So 
the perfect day, I think over time, you'll realize it's not one or two or even three, but maybe you have, you know, four or five sort of mm -hmm. templates that add variety to your week, but also make up a, a two, you know, mm -hmm. or, or one score. And I found that really helpful to deal with that, that giant question of, of every day, of facing every day. It kind of makes it less stressful, makes it less, mm -hmm. you know, it, you save some cognitive power instead of like, yeah. okay, what am I gonna eat? What am I gonna do? Where am I gonna work? Uh, what am I gonna work on, blah, 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 blah. You kind of know, okay, in general, when you do have this, these patterns to your day, you're, you're happy. Mm -hmm. So I can work within these and, and kind of tinker at the edges, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's perfect. So I'm curious, what came up for you? Oh, what did for your ideal day look like? Oh, it's, it's, I mean, I can go into deep, deep detail. <laughs> I don't know how much time we have. I'll do the one minute version. Yeah, sure. Um, basically to just wake up early. I mean, it, this is how detailed it is, like yeah. setting and everything, but wake yeah. up early, have a healthy breakfast, like move around, do Qigong in the morning. Like basically first hour of the day is, is undistracted, silent kind of meditative time. Mm -hmm. getting in touch with my entire body, then breakfast with my loved one, mornings would be full of creative work, unbothered, lone wolf, back mm -hmm. to my, what I, I like to do, creative work in the mornings. I, uh, I've come to cherish that time. Mm -hmm. And then lunch with inspiring people, you know, that, that, that really motivate me and inspire me and are doing awesome stuff. And then afternoons would be like coaching, helping people, leading teams or building cultures, mm -hmm. being a part of culture, you know, being mentored, mentoring. Mm -hmm. um, early afternoons outside in the sunshine, exercising, sweating. Like when I was working in the corporate world, I hated watching day turn into night. Yes. You know, sitting Ugh. in my cubicle is the worst feeling in the world. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have this freedom. Why not be outside, be, be active? And then night times would be, yeah, dinner with friends and loved ones. And then, you know, night would be like sharing stories and adventures and, and, and learning new things and just living with joy, like enjoying that time at the end of the night. So that's the basic structure. And that has stayed, I think, consistent over the past few years. I mean, one thing is, as I mentioned, I want to be more interdependent, lean on more people, have more people lean on me. Mm. So that might expand the afternoon part a bit more. Mm. But otherwise, yeah, it's. It's, and everyone has, you know, it's really fun to listen to people's perfect days. Yeah. Oh, I love What's that. Yours? Yeah. Oh, see, I still get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've like done this exercise for myself, I'm still yeah. like, I don't know. But honestly, I, I do feel like I live currently mostly my ideal day, which is awesome. Mm. And it's, similar to yours in terms of a lot of time for self-care in the morning, waking up early, going for a walk, doing yoga or workout, yeah. meditation, eating healthy breakfast, which is exactly what I do every morning already. Anyways, I feel so blessed. Like at the end of my day, I always do a bit of gratitude journaling mm. and just like, what am I grateful for at the end of the day? And always always grateful for living in in this tropical climate where the sun is up in the morning like at this pretty much the same time all throughout the year every single day 
that's something I really appreciate because I remember um, I'm actually from New Jersey. So where Princeton is, obviously, you know that. Uh, So, you know, when it's summer or winter, it changes like how early the sun is up or how early it goes down. And sometimes I remember getting up for school and it's like pitch blackout, like blackout. And it's so hard to wake up like that. And especially in the winter, you just want to hibernate and it's so hard to get out of bed. And so I'm so grateful that here it's like warm every single day. The sun's out pretty much every day. Uh, And so it's a lot easier to get up and we have access to tropical fruits. And I feel like it's really easy to eat healthy here. And I, when I go outside, I just love how I can see other people walking, exercising, even meditating. I see people uh, outside, like just meditating or doing, you know, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, yeah. And I feel like I would never really see that at mm. home. I mean, you see people running in the morning and stuff, but I, I definitely didn't see people outside just meditating out in public. So I really like that. And what else? I mean, I love podcasting. I don't think I could do it every single day, (laughs) but like, that's definitely something that I really love to do. Uh, And it brings me a lot of joy and energy. And honestly, like, sometimes I feel so lazy with this question because sometimes what comes to mind for me is like, I don't want to (laughs) work ever. (laughs) Like, I don't don't want to do shit, you know, like I sometimes I just don't want to show up or do anything for anyone but myself. And so sometimes I feel selfish or lazy when I have that thought, but mostly I just want to like, just a lot of education, a lot of reading. I just love like learning new things, absorbing new things. So that would be a part of it for sure. And just expressing as well what I'm learning. I feel like I've recently come into this vegan advocate identity, but it's still really, I still feel really like I hold back a lot because I'm nervous about how people would receive that. And I don't want to come off too preachy and like holier than thou type of thing. I just want everyone to like know the science, like the actual science and what I'm learning. Uh, So yeah, definitely like speaking out more about that. And I'm really passionate about women's health. So I guess just talking about the things that I'm passionate about, being able to have conversations with Mm. other people who are passionate about those things as well. I I think what's really interesting, and and I'll use this with with your answer, right, is when I listen to people, when I ask them about the perfect day, and I just hear what you said back to me, I really watch their body language and, and which parts of what they're saying, like, light them up. What, where can I see the energy literally rise from within them and come out? Mm-hmm. And, and the weird thing about influence that, that I've learned from my experience is that those are the things that really get, like, you don't even have to work to get people excited about stuff when you have that energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of my geeky hobbies is playing Catan, the, the popular board game. And oh. just because I'm just so in love with the stupid game, like, you know, I've, I've been able to form this group of people that just come together and play and it's like such a natural thing. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think, you know, the key word is energy when you're really reflecting on your perfect day, does it really resound with you? Or are you just saying that because you feel like you're supposed to say it 
right? Mm -hmm. Which unfortunately I think a lot of us do. Like, oh yeah, my perfect day is family, and uh, is it? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. That's a grenade minefield there. But the point is the energy. Like, mm -hmm. like, like observe yourself when you're answering that question, and and that that will help you, you know. And then and then you test it. Yeah, Maybe it really is your perfect day. Maybe this is just a total like wacky dream that you've had or excuse you've had that's holding you back. Maybe you mm -hmm. do that thing and you realize, oh, actually, no, I'd rather just stay working, you know, for a company or whatever it is. That's fine, too. That's great. So true. Yeah. Just try things. Just you never know. If, you're never going <laughs> to know until you try. And yeah, the, I feel like the things that tend to come the easiest to us, we don't see them as our natural gift because it's kind of just like, well, it's can't everyone do that? Or doesn't everyone think this way? And you don't realize the actual power that you have when you when you put that out there, even if it's something as simple as like, I like playing this game or yeah. I always think it's about, hard. yeah. Or I think about my one friend from college who was like, just so good at organizing dinners for all of us. And she would like be so particular about de decorating and like making oh the God. table look really nice. And we're like in college, you know, like none of us have any money, but she's like doing her best to make it very like intimate and nice vibe and cooking something really nice and bringing us all together. And to her, that might just seem like, oh, I just like doing this, whatever, you know, like everyone can do this, but I can't do that. I just told you before this podcast, I can't even cook, <laughs> cook rice. So like, no way now, I can put together that, a nice dinner for everyone. <laughs> now everyone knows, Dana, yeah, now your, your lovely knows host cannot cook rice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, everyone just think about those things that you just love and come naturally to you, even the smallest smallest thing like right. what kind of flower do you like you know do you like sunflowers or do you like roses just like the simplest things just to figure out more and more of who you are and what you like and this is like also a total side note but I feel like when we're younger too at least this was my case when I was in a relationship from high school to college I had no idea who I was in that relationship I was just it, I wasn't Dana. I was just like this person's girlfriend. You know mm. what I mean? Like I, I mm. identified myself as just the other half of that relationship and not as my own individual whole person. Mm. So when I got out of the relationship, I was like, I have no idea what my interests are, what I'm passionate about, what I like. If someone asked me, what are you passionate about? Or what's your favorite thing to do? I'd be like, I don't know. I'm not passionate about anything. And it's not until, like we said, you just start trying new things, seeing what you like, what you don't like, and listening to those really subtle urges. Like, I always had the urge to travel. But again, it didn't make sense to me. It's like, well, why? And I was trying to ask myself why. And like we said before, it's like, who cares? Just do it. <laughs> there doesn't have to be a rational reason why. Yeah. And uh, I mean, on, on that note, I think... You know, something I'm working on and, and experimenting with is this idea of differentiating to integrate. Like, and what, what that means is those energy, that energy that you have or those inklings, the more you embrace those things and the more, you know, personal you are and true you are, like the easier it is 
for people to kind of understand where you're coming from and work with you. Mm. I don't know. There's something that's like, because so many times we, we, we have this idea of what we should be in these situations. And then we just become like everybody else. So even from a pure marketing standpoint, as a creator, I think it's important to bring those quirky and interesting parts of yourself out. It, it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's what makes you, <laughs> makes, makes you real and relatable. And yes. that's what people attract to, not the, not the cookie cutter stuff, for sure. So now I want to jump to, there was this other idea that I really liked in the book about how your business cannot love you back, no matter how much love and effort you pour into it, no matter how hard you try. Sometimes just working harder doesn't always equal success. And obviously, failure is a huge part of the process. And I think a lot of us get so emotionally involved in the business. And sometimes even, yeah, I feel like it's like when we're not getting that approval or acceptance that we're seeking this external validation from our parents or from the rest of society or maybe we went through that rough breakup and we're, we're like broken inside and looking for this business to fix everything. Like, Oh, if I can just be successful at this, then it will fix everything. Um, But you, you say in the book, your business can't love you back. So why do you say that? Mm. What do you think are the signs that maybe a solopreneur is expecting their business to love them back? So I think that, you know, for so long, I succeeded because I worked hard. I worked hard in sports. I worked hard in school. I got good grades. And I could see those results coming back. But business is not... um, So I think there's two things here, right? One is... uh, the success of your business, despite all the kind of hustle porn out there, how hard you work doesn't necessarily, like, isn't necessarily related to your business success. Of course, mm-hmm. there is an element of that, right? But there's so many other factors, timing, whether your product or service, whether there's an actual need for that. Yeah. So instead of like working and working so hard on something, like pounding your head against the wall, like, Darren, I'm working so hard at this. How come nothing's happening? Maybe it's time to like look up see where you are and and listen to 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 how you know how people are responding to your offer Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of this is learning to like put our ego aside right and and just think of what a business is about it's about serving someone else and helping them accomplish their goals and dreams Mm. it's not about you and as Simple as that sounds, that took me years to understand because I'm on this journey of freedom and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Your business is there to help someone get to that next level of whatever they're doing or brighten their day, whatever. So it's, that's all it is. It is not you. So that's the second issue. We tend to link our identities to the success of our businesses. Mm-hmm. They're two different things. And I had to learn that the hard way. Because, of course, when my business was crashing, it's like, I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. Right. No, you're not a failure, Darren. Your business is failing. Mm -hmm. So there's a big difference, even though you're closely tied to it, obviously. 
but it means that your service or product, like people aren't buying it. There's no energy there. Yeah. Change it. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. Change your market, change your approach, change your customer. Don't take it so personally. We creators and solopreneurs, we're so intimately tied with our work. It means so much to us that we place so much value on how it's received by others and its success financially or status-wise or whatever it is. But they're two different things. Mm-hmm. And I think separating that allows you to, especially from the business side, just move on and adjust quicker because that's what I think is the biggest factor of success, your ability to change and adjust quickly. Absolutely. But how can we do this when our ego is in the way saying, Derek, no, just keep working harder. It's going to, you know, no. It's like, give it your best shot, step back, see what happens. Don't take it personally. I mean, or of course we're going to take it personally. Don't take it as personally. Mm-hmm. Your business can't love you back. So I hope yeah. I kind of unpack the two issues there. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also connects to another sort of strategy you talk about in the book is is joining masterminds or getting together some kind of group to get this feedback from an external person. Because um, myself and Tuesi and our other friend, Brian, we meet, we've been meeting every Monday for like the past 10 months, uh, like almost without fail. And to get together and talk about, you know, what challenges did we have this week? How did we work through them? Ask for advice or feedback on things. Talk about our wins as well. Celebrate each other. And that has gotten me further. Like I've gone so much further this year by having that group than ever before. It's amazing. But we often talk about how for when we're listening to the other person talk about their struggles and their challenges, it's so easy for us as the external, non-emotionally attached person to be like, oh, all you have to do is this. Like, it's so simple. But, you know, when you're the person having the challenge with your business and someone on the outside is telling you, oh, like, you just have to do this. And it makes perfect sense logically. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And then (laughs) the week goes on and you're like, Oh, like all the fears, <laughs> all the fears come up and the, all the, the ego and all of that. So yeah, that's, um, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I just want to say congratulations on that practice 10 months. That's amazing. And, and I hope uh, your audience follows your lead there and, and does something mm-hmm. similar. And I agree that has been the absolute best way to, 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 to stay not only uh, emotionally kind of well and stable to get that psychological distance from your mm-hmm. own problems, whether in business or life, and then see it reflected back to you, right, from outsiders. Mm-hmm. But also for the success of your business too. Yeah, so for both those reasons, uh, I hope that uh, your audience follows your lead. For sure. And I think also it might take a while to even find the right people because sure. bef- before that group, I've, sure. I literally paid a massive, ridiculous amount of money to be in a mastermind that I thought was going to take me to the top and, you know, all the marketing around it. I was like, yeah, I've I've talked about it before on the podcast, so I won't go into it. But that group of people, it was just so wrong for me. (laughs) Like that, that group of people, I felt, I felt like the worst I've ever felt, you know, and I constantly felt like I was in this competitive, kind of 
not able to express how I really feel. It felt like I was yes. just supposed to say, you know, what I'm supposed to say. And yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like a safe space, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And you have to find people that it feels safe uh, for you and, and energy is very important. So yeah, if you, if you join a group of people and it doesn't work out right away, don't, don't be like, oh, masterminds aren't for me, you know, just, just try something else, find some other people, I think. Yeah. And your audience knows what a mastermind is, right? Let's clarify just Okay. In case. No, I mean, just, yeah. I, I, so basically it's like having a board of peer advisors mm -hmm. and you gather in typically three to five people, um, but they can be done with just two. And like Dana was saying, the important thing is you feel a sense of safety with your, the other people in your group, whether they're strangers or close friends, and that you can really openly share the, your struggles and challenges. Mm -hmm. And then a typical format would be, say you meet for an hour, there's four of us, uh, we each share what we did last week, and then maybe one person gets on the quote unquote hot seat where like they have a certain you know, issue they wanna talk about, get some feedback on, and then you close out that meeting with everyone saying, all right, this is what I'm gonna do the next week. Yeah. I mean, that's been the typical format for me, simple, yeah. clean. It's, it's about accountability. If I'm telling you, Dana, that I'm going to do, you know, X task and I show up the next week and I haven't done anything, you know, I, I don't feel so good. And that, that sort of pressure is good, mm -hmm. uh, I think, for accountability. But that's, that's kind of the essence of a mastermind. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any suggestions for someone who's wanting to join something like that, but they don't know how to find these people? Yeah. <laughs> it's tougher now, especially, I think. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's lots of these sort of paid communities that do this. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been whole businesses built on this model, actually, yeah. like Entrepreneur EO, for example. But I think the important thing is you find someone who's at a roughly similar stage as you. So uh, that could be slightly ahead of you or slightly behind you, mm -hmm. and then has kind of a different perspective to share a different background than you and then that you obviously feel safe with those three mm -hmm. things and then magic happens because mm -hmm. you're you're pushing each other even just doing a two-person accountability group meeting once every week or once every two weeks can do wonders has done wonders for me so it doesn't have to you know like you said it took you a while to find your right one you could also put uh like a time limit is what i personally prefer so let's do like a mastermind sprint in the next two months, we're both gonna launch products. So you can almost pick like a business challenge mm -hmm. where there's a deliverable at the end and you're pushing each other along the way because you're both trying to get that done. Mm. So that's a format that I really like. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'll add a few thoughts. I would say, mm. um, I would say Facebook groups are very active in Saigon specifically. I feel like you could just put it out there in any group. There's like the female expats group. Um, pretty sure there's an entrepreneurs in Saigon Facebook group. And I feel like if you just, you know, posted a comment in there, like, Hey, does anyone like, I'm trying to work on this. Does anyone want to get together once a week to, you know, push each other further? I know that our friend Brian, he was doing this. It was called ship 30 for 30 challenge. And it was some kind of writing challenge, like for writers who wanted to put out a piece of content every day for 30 days straight. 
And there was a whole online community around that. I think it was a mm. Twitter focused kind of mm. thing. But I've seen, you know, artists doing that too. You know, 30 days put out some some artwork piece every day or all sorts of things like that as well. Absolutely. I think that's such a good idea to use Facebook. Mm -hmm. I'm personally experimenting with this. You know, people who are fans of the book, I've created a, a little Discord. Oh. Are you familiar with Discord? Uh, I've heard of it. I've never yeah. used it. Yeah. It's basically like a forum software, but it's for gamers. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is, yeah, let's like have this accountability a part of it as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, just do it in the way that you feel most comfortable. But I think anytime you put yourself on the line like that, as Dana said, and say, look, I'm trying to accomplish this in the next few weeks, I'd love to do this with someone else. It's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. So and one more thing that mm. uh, I really liked in the book was this phrase, the most important time for calming activities or relaxation activities is when you don't have time for them. And I think that really is so relatable because typically when we, it feels like we have so much on our plate and it's like, oh, there's no way that I could take time to what, just sit and do nothing. Like it feels so selfish or we feel guilty for not being productive, like 100% mm. of the time. And that so comes from this capitalist, you know, society and mindset of like, your value is based on how much you can produce every single day, you know? So we're kind of brought up in this hustle, hustle mindset. And like you've mentioned, this idea that putting in more work will lead to success, but we know that's not necessarily the case. So why is this hustle mindset kind of the incorrect way of thinking about it? And what should we do instead? Yeah. Great question. I mean, I think the hustle mindset has its time and its place and can be useful. For example, you're doing a sprint, you're launching a product, your back is against the wall. I get it. I've done it. You know, I've pulled all nighters. I've done two week hustles, mm -hmm. you know, month long hustles, even quarter long hustles where I'm just working all the time. Mm -hmm. So it has a place and I get it. But to do that all the time is just the worst business advice. I mean, I don't like to give other people advice, actually, because I think we're all going through our complex challenges. But yeah. that is one of the things where I'll say that is bad business advice. Yeah. Let me take it back. So one of my chapters, I talk about dealing with anxiety. That's one of the four horsemen. Anxiety, and that's usually related to stress and performance, right? Mm -hmm. So, and this productivity idea that you mentioned. From my own practice and research, I found, you know, one way to 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 have less anxiety, there's problem-based coping and emotion-based coping. And I want to talk mm -hmm. about emotion-based coping. Okay. You can't solve all the stressors in your life, whatever they are. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can eliminate them or, or make them less present in your life, but oftentimes you can't. All right. So the idea of emotion-based coping is to take care of your well-being so that you're more calm when you return to work. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent of between tennis points for me as a tennis player, in between the points. What do you do to kind of gather yourself? Yeah, you just made a huge unforced error and you like lost the game. How are you gonna like recenter yourself, get back to that right mindset, that right frame of mind, 
you know, get your breathing in, get well rested before the next point. And so there's different rituals you can do to that I've, you know, everyone, it'll be unique to everyone, but whatever those rituals are, whether it's, you know, going to a favorite place every week or not working a certain day, which for me is Sundays, no matter what. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever those rituals are, you know, treating yourself to blah, 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 or going to your favorite mountain, whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are so important to just, manage your emotional state so that you can come back well rested and like excited Mm -hmm. to do your work. I love to work, but if you do it all the time, if you're hustling all the time, I'm not going to like that work anymore. So why not take a day and a half off and come back to it? Yeah. You're busy as hell. I get it. Right. But that's what the point of that sentence you you read. Mm -hmm. That's when you need to do it the most. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Is there anything else that you mm. really want to bring up? Yeah, thanks. Uh, one, maybe one last thing that has really helped me and maybe it can help um, some of your listeners is, you know, when you talked about how are you, remember we talked about the whole how are you episode and, and, and struggling financially with instability there. One thing that has really helped me deal with that is a having versus a being identity. Mm-hmm. So having identity is obviously, okay, I'm Darren, I have this house, I have this car, I have this job, I have this much money, I have a wife, I have a girlfriend, whatever it is, I have kids. Okay, great, right? Mm-hmm. But that is such a precarious identity because if you're basing your worth on how much money you have, or how much status you have, and those things change, then who are you? Yep. And, and that's why I think that that's a lot of our, our assumptions about success are having base assumptions. And great, it's great to have a lot, right? But, but if we base our identity on those things, that's like a shaky, shaky, shaky place to be. Mm. Whereas a being-based identity is more about like, who are you? Like, if I'm an entrepreneur, what I do is I add value to other people. You know, I create, I solve, help solve people's problems. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm a writer, you know, what, this is what I do. I write, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of strip away all the, the outside stuff and you can just be more comfortable in that identity, mm-hmm. acting out that identity as a writer, as an entrepreneur, as a creator, as opposed to a having-based identity. And I, I just think that that makes the whole journey, especially with instability, I think this distinction, uh, this kind of flip has been really helpful for me because, yeah, you're going to continue, you're going to have to produce and, and keep working for sure. But like, it's just a lot more sustainable if you have a being-based identity rather than having one. For yeah, sure. That's so. so powerful. I love that because <laughs> it's like, it's like no one can ever take that away from you like what's what's the one thing that no one can take away from you and even if you lost everything you lost your house you lost your kids you lost you know god forbid like all the most terrible things happen and you had nothing but if you're a writer and you love to write and that's your being that's who you are all you need is a paper and pen or like your computer whatever Uh, like what is that one thing that 
is so like ingrained into your being that no one can, no one or no thing can take it away from you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly Amazing. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I feel like we've just, we've like covered so much, but we also just barely scratched the surface of your book and all the amazing value that it provides. So everyone listening, please, please go read Darren's book, The Fail Safe Solopreneur. It's available in print and audio on Amazon. We will provide the links in the show notes. Where else can people connect with you if they want to have a conversation with you? Yeah, so uh, my my website is upstartist.tv. So U-P-S-T-A-R-T-I-S-T.tv. And there I have, I try to write maybe once every week or two weeks. And I also have a podcast there that explores entrepreneurial well-being and doing your best work as well. So yeah, you can find my book and everything else there. Uh, I'd love to connect. And um, yeah, you can, you can find me there. Thank you so much, Dana, for your this is the first time I've really talked about the book on a podcast. Yeah. So thanks for giving me that space and opportunity to share. And I hope it helps uh, a few people. Yeah, you did great. And we have two more questions that we ask Ooh, towards, the, okay. toward, towards the end. So the first one is, we like to give guests the opportunity to just speak out a message basically to the universe asking for, is there something that you need help with. Uh, for example, you know, there might be pe people listening right now who, let's say you're looking for some kind of collaboration in this thing or just something that you need. Maybe someone who's listening can help you or they know someone who can help. Or if, you know, just speaking out there in the universe, it can start the process of manifestation. So mm -hmm. anything that comes to mind. I would love to collaborate with other people who love to create shows, who love to create content, and um, who really care about this this niche of kind of entrepreneurial well-being. Mm. So, if if you're interested, and in, if you're a designer, or uh, you know, a fellow podcaster, or I don't know, just whatever it is, I'd love to meet more of you and and work together on, on stuff we can do to help, you know, what I think will be millions and millions of people deal with these challenges mm -hmm. of the fail, the four horsemen challenges. Absolutely. The, the universe has heard your message. <laughs> we have we have direct access. You do. Yeah. Can you can you share it? Like, how, how does that work? Is there a code? Is there a password for that? We have their phone number. We can't share it. <laughs> right. And our last question is: How would you describe Saigon in three words? <laughs> Chaotic, warm, and affirming. Mm. Can you explain warm and affirming a little bit? I mean, the people here, they might not seem, I mean, I'm talking about locals and foreigners. Mm -hmm. They might not seem at first like they're the nicest people, Yeah. but they have so much heart. And um, I mean, I, I kind of tear up just thinking about it, like so many examples of people being so warm to outsiders. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's warm. It's not just temperature warm, but people yeah. warm. <laughs> And I mean, affirming, uh, I had affirming and maker 
kind of those those both those words I'm cheating, but mm -hmm. I think that this is such a great place to make something and create something and I guess in a way get get that affirmation or, or like find communities to affirm each other. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a long-winded explanation, but that's what I mean by affirm. I think it's a maker awesome. place. I love that everyone's just trying to make stuff here. Love that. Yes, me too. Awesome. So yeah, thank you so much again. This was a really fun conversation. I'm pretty sure we talked for like two hours. So <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. And to everyone else listening, please, again, like go check out Darren's book and all the links connect with him. He would love to hear from you. And as always, please subscribe to Creators in Saigon. Share the episodes with your friends on social media. And we have a new buy me a coffee link mm. in the description where you can donate some money if you would like to support the production of this podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.